0: Okay, let's pray just as we come to God's word. Father, help us uh, this evening, Father, open our eyes to the truths of your word. Father, speak to us We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, along with Father, I think that Lord is probably the most used word in (coughs) Christian devotions. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, songs are full of the word Lord. I had a real uh, smorgasbord of choice uh, this week as I came to pick... Uh, different songs for us to, to look at this evening uh, and as you know we, we sang two different songs with the title Jesus Lord there are others uh, as well it's harder in weeks when we've done things like son of David uh, or in a couple of weeks time we're going to be doing uh, the word uh, those aren't as quite simple to find songs but Lord it's, it's all over the place isn't it in our prayers we use the word Lord all the time don't we some people um, you know be Lord I just want to ask Lord that Lord you might almost you know every other word is, is Lord um, partly I think just sort of filling, filling space sometimes while we think but it is a word that we use all the time as we pray in Bibles as well in the English Bible the word Lord is used nearly a whopping 600 six, sorry not 600 6, times so that is a lot especially when you compare it with something like the word God which you think would appear quite often in the Bible that only appears 3,700 so it's 3,000 more times of appearances of Lord than there is God. So we use it all the time. It's a really, really key word in the Bible. But what does it mean? Specifically, as we're looking at the names of Jesus, what does it mean to call Jesus Lord? Well, as with all the previous times when we're looking at the names of Jesus, we're going to look at how that term is used uh, throughout the Bible uh, to get a bit of a handle on what it means when the New Testament says Jesus is Lord. So we're going to start with the Old Testament. Uh, Lord in the Old Testament. Now the Hebrew word for Lord is Adonai. So you might have come across that word before, but we're not going to look at that word uh, this evening. Uh, Actually, we're going to look at a completely different word to find out what it means that Jesus is Lord. And that word is this one. Y-H-W-H. That in the Bible is God's actual name, that He gave Him, uh, He Himself gave to Moses when Moses asked, "Who He is?" If you want to know how to pronounce it, nobody knows. <laughs> if you, if you like, pointless, not pointless, um, QI, it's, it's a nobody knows uh, answer. But in theology, it's referred to as the Tetragrammaton, which. <laughs> Means word with four letters. <laughs> Can't really decide uh, what to do. And uh, it's considered so holy that by Jesus' day, nobody read the word out loud. Instead, when they found it, they read Adonai, Lord, instead. It's similar to the way that Matthew says kingdom of heaven in his gospel rather than saying the kingdom of God. It's like he, he views God's name as so holy that he uses something else instead. And they added the vowels of Adonai to sort of alert people that this is how it should be pronounced. Now, the Greek translation also used the word Lord to translate those four letters. So that all the quotations of that name in the New Testament are translated as Lord. So they don't uh, try and translate that that phrase there. They translate Lord instead. So in the New Testament, it's not used instead of, if you like. Those are the words that they would be reading in their Greek Bible. And uh, most of our Bibles uh, follow that ancient tradition. And instead of trying to translate, they simply insert the word Lord in small capitals. So you want to see this word in the Old Testament. It's the ones that uh, has Lord in small capitals. And it's this word that we're going to explore this evening. If you want ways to pronounce it, uh, the the traditional one is Jehovah. Sort of adding in the vowels of Adonai into that and make, make it like that. But it's more likely that it was pronounced Yahweh. But as I say, nobody knows for certain, but we'll use those words as we go through. So where does the name come from? Well, you might be thinking, oh yes, Moses burning bush, but actually it's first mentioned in Genesis 2. It was known to Moses who wrote Genesis, so that might explain why it's there, but it's not quite that simple, because actually the word Lord there, in capital letters, that word again, is actually used uh, by Noah in his blessing of Shem in Genesis 9 uh, verse 26: Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. So it seems as though the name was known in some way earlier on than when it was uh, released and given in a special way to Moses. But it really comes into prominence with Moses at the burning bush. So uh, if you turn to uh, Exodus 3 and uh, 13 to 15, we won't. I won't make you jump around too much this evening, but uh, this probably is worth looking up. Of course, all Bible verses are worth looking up, but we'll do it this evening exactly. Anyway, um, before I dig myself a bigger hole, Exodus 3 and uh, 13 uh, to 15. It says this. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel I am has sent me to you uh, so that's what's uh, happening here god is given it, uh, his name to moses and he does it at this point in a way that means that actually god's name is forever associated with the exodus with the events that are surrounding what's happening here as god sends moses uh, to shepherd his people to lead his people uh, out of egypt it's forever linked with the idea of the god of the covenant who made promises to israel And when you read that word in the Old Testament, that's often the the echoes you're supposed to understand. You're supposed to be thinking the God of the Exodus, the powerful God who brought his people uh, out of Egypt. But what does that word actually mean? So it's there in as I am uh, who I am or I am has sent me. That's one of the few places where it's not translated uh, Lord. Well, it can be translated I am who I am or it can be translated I will be what I will be. It's a form of the word to be. Now, if we take it that way, then uh, I am what I am. It's a statement of ultimate self-existence and self-determination. So in other words, the only fitting description of me is me. I am the ultimate description of myself. I exist with reference to nothing else. Everything else gets its meaning from me. So think with me for a second. If you say that God is love, well, how do we define what love is? Well, God is the definition of love, isn't he? Uh, When we say God is righteous, how do we define righteous? Well, God is the definition of righteousness, isn't he? Those statements are true and helpful. But in one sense, the fundamental truth behind them all is that God is God. All of the statements are derivative from that. I am what I am. I am that I am. I exist as the ultimate truth, as the ultimate uh, thing from which all other things uh, find their meaning. Now, when we say it, it, it takes on a sort of slightly different uh, nuance, doesn't it? So I don't know if you know the Gloria Gaynor song, I am what I am, uh, originally from a musical. I am what I am. You're looking a bit blank, but there is a song uh, by Gloria Gaynor, Um but it's used as this uh, same sort of thing statement of self so you know, I am what I am I don't need praise I don't need pity as though you are the only person who exists as though you are the only thing that matters that's really what that song is saying now for us to act like that is sinful because only ultimately God can make such a statement like that can't he only God can say nothing uh, uh, I don't depend on anything just myself. When we do that, we make ourselves our own little God called self. So it's only God that can truly ever say, I am what I am. As, as a statement of self-determination, as a statement of "I've nothing else. Uh, I don't depend on anything else, just myself. If we take it as I will be what I will be, it, it, it starts to change a little bit. Mm-hmm. Just if that sounds confusing, by the way, we do, ha- we do have that in English sometimes. So I, I, I beat my dad. It could mean meant, this morning I beat my dad, or it could be, uh, this afternoon I beat my dad at chess. You know, We can use things that sometimes mean future, sometimes mean uh, past. But if this is the meaning, I will be what I will be, then it has the same overtones as before, but the direction is future. So in other words, if you want to know what God is like, if you want to look at God, God is known by what he does, his actions. Want to know what I'm like, just look at the God I will be to you, Moses. It's almost like that sort of picture. Just watch me fulfill the promises that I have made. I will be what I will be. But either way, it's that statement of of self of of self determination. Now the name could be shortened to I am, as you see in the passage there. And throughout the Bible, you see loads of names with it in any name that has Yah um, in it. So um, I should put it down examples of this, um, or Aya, so Isaiah, Jeremiah. The Yah bit at the end, that's from the Lord. And it's interchangeable with God in many circumstances. So the Psalms uh, often, uh, you get some bits are repeated through the Psalms. Sometimes with Lord, sometimes with God. But throughout it's that same word, it's that same statement. God saying, I am who I am. I will be what I will be. I don't depend on anyone else. Then we come to the Lord in the New Testament. So when the New Testament uses the word Lord, it sometimes has the meaning that we've just been talking about. Some other times it just means uh, Lord or Master. So a slave would use this word of their master, and we see examples of that in the New Testament. It was a term term of respect, but not always a claim to deity. And that makes it a little bit complicated when you get to the New Testament, because sometimes it seems as though it's saying, yes, this is God, and sometimes it just seems to be saying, he's the master. And it's how it's used in the Gospels throughout. You can equally substitute master in most places uh, for the word Lord. But sometimes in the New Testament, Lord has a stronger meaning. So, for example, in Mark five nineteen to 20, I'll read it to you. And he did not permit him, uh, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And they went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marvelled. Now, from the context, you might be thinking, how much the Lord has done for you? You're thinking, God. But yet, actually, the man goes away and tells how much Jesus has done for him. The Lord there being Jesus making a parallel between them. Or Luke 1, uh, 76. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Now that's John the Baptist that it's speaking to. And again, it's slightly ambiguous. Does it mean the Lord God? Or does it mean the Lord Jesus, who's also God as well? Because he goes before Jesus as he comes. Uh, Luke 2.11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour, who is Christ, the Lord. Wouldn't make sense there to be the master. It's something much, much bigger. And Luke, throughout his gospel, actually starts referring to Jesus as the Lord. So uh, Luke thirteen fifteen, then the Lord answered him, "You hypocrites, does not each uh, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it uh, to water it?" Or Luke eighteen verse six uh, this morning, and the Lord said, "Hear what the righteous judge says." So he just starts referring to him as the Lord in the same way that you might refer to God as the Lord, but it's a little bit ambiguous. What is clear, though, is that Jesus is always the one in the Gospels who's addressed as Lord. It's never Lord somebody else, either like Lord Peter or Lord Paul. It's only ever Lord Jesus. Um, And the same word is used throughout the Gospels to address God. So it's ambiguous in places, but it certainly points at something that has a greater meaning. But sometimes the New Testament uses other ways of getting across the idea of those four letters of I am. Namely, by using the phrase I am. Now, people in Greek uh, didn't use the form I am. They wouldn't say that normally. They would just say am. So, if you know any Spanish, uh, they do the same. They miss out the pronouns, the I, the you, the they, the, and they just use the verb. And that's how Greek works often. You can say it in Greek but it means I am, or me, I am. Uh, the word is ego, Amy. So it's, it's both the I and the am, which is very, very rare. It's only used in one other occasion uh, in the New Testament, apart from when Jesus is using it this way, which is when you have the blind man who the, the Pharisees don't believe. And he says, me, I am. I am that man. It's as if to emphasise himself. But Jesus uses this phrase on a number of, occasion, of occasions. Now, it's the same in Aramaic, if that's what he was speaking, rather than Greek, it works the same. But it's not always translated as I am, because it sounds rather clumsy. But in some cases, it is. So in the passage that we had read for us before, in, uh, in John 8, uh, you'll see towards the end of the passage uh, that Jesus uh, talks about him preceding Abraham. But he says right at the end, doesn't he, before Abraham was, I am. So it's that same phrase, ego, Amy, which would have been the literal translation of God's name uh, into Greek. And the Jews certainly understand his meaning, don't they? They've sort of been okay with the discussion up to this point. But as he uses God's name, suddenly now they take up stones to stone him, don't they? They understand what he's saying. And it's not just in John either, in Mark's gospel, uh, in Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52, Again, this actually might be a good one to turn to. Uh, Mark chapter 6, just a few pages before John. It's a familiar story. So Mark chapter 6, verses 45 to 52. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. But immediately he spoke and said to them, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astonished for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now I don't know if you've ever been confused by that story as Jesus passes by or meant to pass by his disciples. It's not saying that he meant to sort of avoid them. I'll pass I'll meet them on the other side, That's, that's fine. Actually, it's a phrase that's used in the Old Testament several times of God as he reveals himself. He passes by uh, people like Moses and Elijah. So think Moses in the cleft of the rock. God passes by Moses. Same uh, phrase. God reveals himself by speaking his name. The Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate, uh, going past uh, Moses. Well, here Jesus is doing the same thing. He's passing by His disciples, he's actually revealing himself to his disciples. And just like uh, God with Moses, here Jesus speaks God's name. So where it says, It is I, it's literally I, I am, or me, I am. It's that same phrase, uh, ego, amen. So there can be no mistaking his meaning. He's saying to them, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord. And Jesus does this on other occasions as well. I won't read them to you now, but if you want to note them down, look later. John chapter 8, verse 24, John chapter 8, verse 28, John chapter 18, verse 6. And at that last one, as as Jesus speaks, uh, those words, people fall back before him. They understand what he's saying. He is really claiming the name of the Lord for himself. Now, as we think this through, we mustn't make the Mormon mistake. I don't know if you've ever chatted to a Mormon about these uh, sort of things. Um... But it does not mean that every time you read the word Lord in the Old Testament, that it's specifically referring to Jesus in opposition to God the Father or the Spirit. Actually, it's not Jesus' secret name in the Trinity, you like. It's not that he's secretly called Yahweh. No, Yahweh is the triune God, is the whole Trinity. But Jesus is fully God, isn't he? So Jesus is fully Yahweh. But then so too are the Father and the Spirit. They're all equally Yahweh. They're all equally the Lord. But by using that word, he's making a claim to be fully God. On a level with God the Father. On a level with God the Spirit. So when the Lord is introduced in Genesis 2, it's the whole of God. Not just God the Father. God the Son and God the Spirit are included as well. Now, there's only a couple of points where this gets a little bit complicated. Um, So Psalm 110, uh, Psalm of David. um, It says, the Lord said, that's Lord capitals. "Uh, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So the Lord, those four letters, says to my Lord, just Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Now, when Jesus uses this psalm, and when the book of Hebrews uses this psalm, they both take the Lord to be the Messiah, the, the second Lord, the lowercase Lord, if you like, Jesus. The Lord then <laughs> speaks to Jesus, which then sounds complicated. Jesus is the Lord, speaking to himself. So there's no stranger, really, if you think about it, than Jesus speaking of the Father as God, which he does in that passage in, in John 8. Well, Jesus is God. It's no stranger than Jesus being both Son of God and God. It sort of seems a little bit complicated and we don't quite understand how it works, but it is consistent with what else uh, we read in Scripture. So when applying to Jesus, it is showing that he is fully God, just as the Father is God. And more of that in a moment's time. But finally, what does it mean when we say then Jesus is Lord? Because this is something that's used specifically in the New Testament. The phrase is repeated throughout, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. Now, if I asked you if you could summarise, I don't want you to do this, don't worry. Um, <laughs> if you could summarise the gospel in a paragraph, right, start to think the things that you would sort of put in your paragraph, you know, you'd, you'd want certain things in, wouldn't you? Okay, now how about a sentence? If you could summarise the gospel in a sentence, okay, sort of thing just kind of, yeah, Now, how about a soundbite? You've got it even shorter. What would you have as your sort of nugget of the gospel? Well, it seems as though in the New Testament, Jesus is Lord seems to be a summary soundbite of the gospel in the New Testament. So John chapter 10, verse nine, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Or again, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one, speaking in the Spirit of God, ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. So it seems in those statements, they're the sort of bare minimum of of belief, if you like. They're a, a verbal affirmation of the Gospel in its shortest form. But what does it mean then, when we say Jesus is Lord in that way? If that's a sort of summary of the Gospel... What do we really mean? Well, I want to suggest three things. And they're the last three things we're going <coughs> to look at. Uh, the first thing is Jesus is my God. Jesus is my God. That's what we mean when we say Jesus is Lord. He's my creator. He's fully God. Now, he's also fully man. Uh, but he is fully God in a way that doesn't take away... Sorry, fully God. And his manness doesn't take away his godness. He's the one to whom all needs must bow. So to confess Jesus as Lord means that I cannot have him as a bit part in my life or in my theology. It's not as though in life it's God the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Nor is it God the Father, God the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's the God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. They're all there, aren't they? All are due equal honour and praise. And I think globally speaking, the Son is the one we tend to miss out we focus often on the Father and focus on the Spirit, but often we miss out the Son. I think probably locally in the UK, we probably, uh, it's the Spirit, really, that we miss out more often. But interestingly, we're told the Lord is the Spirit <laughs> in Corinthians. That's for another time, though, uh, just to add this into the mix. But what we see in the Bible is that Scripture is Christocentric. That means it's focused on Jesus So do you remember in our passage in John 8, the Father was the one that was bringing glory to Jesus. Jesus was saying, I don't glorify myself, the Father glorifies me. When we read of the Spirit, actually he is pointing us to Christ. He is illuminating Christ to us. So actually even within the Trinity, there's a focus on Christ. Not that he's above them, but there's a focus there that points us to him. So let's not fight against the Trinity by making Christ less than who he is. So if Jesus is Lord, then he is God, and we dare not treat him as any less. Now, I know we had that Christmas song earlier, but I sometimes, I I do love Christmas, but I sometimes get a little bit annoyed by Christmas, not for the reasons that you might normally get annoyed, there's lots of reasons, aren't there, to get annoyed by Christmas. But sometimes the impression's given, isn't it, that, you know, well, there's Christmas, and then there's Michaelmas, and there's the Saints' Days, and all these other things. And originally, Christmas was just another day in a, a list of Saints' Days, But really, it's not like Jesus is on a level with those other saints, is it? Jesus is way above that. It's like every day is Christmas. I don't know if that fills you with horror or joy. (laughs) But every day is Christ's day, isn't it? Every day is a day where we glorify him, where we remember his coming, where we remember what he came to do by dying on the cross. Every day is a service and remembrance to Christ. So it's not like there are other days, really. Every day is, is Christ's day. Every day is the saviour's day, if you like. So we should treat him as, as Lord, we should treat him as God, not just another one in a line of, of other people. So he, it means that he is my God. Secondly, Jesus Lord means that Jesus is my master. He's my rightful ruler. He's the one to whom I owe allegiance. He's my boss, if you like. So to declare Jesus Lord in this sense means, actually, that we're to do what he says. So Jesus says in Luke 6, why do you call me Lord Lord and do not do what I tell you? Part and parcel of Jesus being our boss, being our Lord is that actually we want to do what Jesus says. If I have zero desire to do what Jesus tells me, then he's not my Lord and I'm not a Christian. Now we might want to do things that he wants us to do and we might fail at those things. But if we don't want to do what Jesus says, not at all. Then we're deluding ourselves that we've understood the gospel. Because at the heart of the gospel is that Jesus is Lord. So we need to do what he says. And also when we confess this, that he is Lord, that he is our boss, that He's our ruler, there's an implication to it as well. That he alone is Lord. Now, Trinitarian issues aside, as in not saying alone in, in contrast to the Father or the Spirit... But I mean by that, that no one else is our Lord. No one else is our boss. So humanly speaking, Christianly speaking, I used to be self-employed spiritually. I was my own boss. I told myself what to do. But I am not any longer. I don't own myself anymore. I'm not my own boss. Jesus is my boss. I used to work for sin and the devil. But no longer. They have no claim on me. Because Jesus alone is my boss. So if Jesus is our Lord, then nobody else is. And that's worth remembering when we're tempted to selfishness and sin. Actually, we need to remember that Jesus is our boss. We are no longer our own. We're no longer the the world's. We're Christ's and we're Christ's alone. So all our energy, all our service, all our devotion is due to him and him alone. Jesus is Lord means that no one else and nothing else is. And then finally, it means that Jesus is my Redeemer. If you think about it, as we took our tour through the Bible, it said that the Lord is the one who rescued Israel from Egypt. The Lord is the one who kept his promises to his people. The covenant God of Israel who bound himself to his own people. When we say Jesus is Lord, this is part and parcel really of what we're saying. When we say that Jesus is Lord, we are saying that he is that mighty redeemer, Yahweh, who rescues his people. So it's best not to draw a line too much between Christ the Lord and Christ the redeemer. Because if he's one, he's the other. And if he's not one, then he's neither. When we say Jesus is Lord, we mean that he is our redeemer. He rescues us by purchasing us by his blood. And uh, Steve took us through what that means this morning, didn't he? But the big parallel in, in redemption, as the New Testament uses that word, redemption, it's Exodus, isn't it? When God first made his name fully known. Now, what would his name be associated with? It becomes associated with the rescue of his people. Now you see, he could have revealed his name properly in that sense to Adam, couldn't he? But it seems he didn't. He could have done it with Abraham, but he didn't. He could have done it with Joseph, but he didn't. He did it at the time that he did so that his name would ever be associated with that great exodus rescue. That great redemption of his people, which prefigured Christ's great rescue. The Lord rescued his people from Egypt. And the Lord Jesus rescues his people from sin. So when we sing Jesus is Lord, let's remember what we're singing. We're singing those three things, aren't we? That he is God, that he's our master, and that also he's our redeemer. When we pray, Lord Jesus, let's remember what we're saying, that he's those three things. We're praying to our Lord, our master, our God, our redeemer. And when we read in our Bibles that Jesus is Lord, let's remember the richness of all that Jesus is for us. God, master and redeemer. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is Lord. Father, thank you that every knee one day will bow to him. Father, thank you that he is equal with you. And Father, help us to give him the honour that is due to him. Father, help us not to neglect any of the persons of the Trinity. But Father, help us, especially as we uh, read of of these accounts, as we look into what his names mean. Father, help us to love Jesus more and see him for who he is and bow the knee, both uh, in our lives And Father, in our thoughts, in in everything we do, our attitudes, Father, pray that Jesus will be Lord of all of those things. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.